one constant through all the years, Ray. Been Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello, everybody. This is the Beyond the Game program coming to you from the BTG studio in Rochester, New York. Sports talk without the trash talk. BTGprogram.com or at BTGprogram. I'm Rick Benson, and this is an encore presentation of Beyond the Game. We're away this week, but we have some segments from previously aired broadcasts that we hope you will enjoy. If you're not familiar with our show, we view sports slightly different than the average sports talk program. We look at various topics in sports from a faith-based perspective. We discuss a topic, and then we consider some things that can be applied from the Word of God. We hope you enjoy the segments we have picked out for you for this broadcast. Here's the first one. Rick Benson here on the Beyond the Game program, mixing sports with a bit of faith. I'm here with the cast of the Myth and Mysteries podcast. Our own producer, Zach Barletta, his brother, Spencer. I know you guys are like me, and it gets to this time of year, and although the snow continues to fall and the temperatures at time are downright stupid, there's those days when the sun's out and it feels good. The angle of the sun is starting to get a little warmer. At least when you're in the sun, it feels good. And those days remind me that spring training is just around the corner. Teams are going to be showing up, and I get excited for baseball. Well, the truth is I'm excited for baseball most of the time, Yeah, which is why the MLB network drives me absolutely insane. I'm sure there's a reason that they don't do this, and one of those reasons might be, well, they're just bad at what they do. But <laughs> don't you think they could give us more actual baseball to attract more baseball viewers? I mean, there's the Dominican League, there's the Mexican Leagues, there's Venezuelan Leagues. I know, it's the off season. It's more difficult for them to fill program, but give us some baseball from somewhere. It's not Major League Baseball. I understand that, but it keeps your appetite whetted for baseball. I don't mind winter. I really don't until... I start seeing baseball players on my TV screen, and then I get a little antsy. Then each following snowstorm, each time the snow falls after that, I just get a little more bitter and bitter <laughs> and bitter. You know, around my house, my, my poor wife, she's such a trooper, but we don't celebrate Valentine's Day as much. She may. Baby, I'm celebrating pitchers at Catcher's Day around my place. <laughs> yeah, that's, man. That's what I'm with. So at the opening of camps a little less than a month away, Let's talk a little baseball, and specifically some of the players that are still available or rumored to be available via a trade, and there's some good good players out there. I follow the Major League Baseball MLB trade rumors, MLBtraderumors.com. I think oh, yeah. it's, it is better than MLB's website when it comes to really transaction rumors and sources. It, it's a good one. On a side note, I'm I, Look, I'm thrilled to have a son-in-law now. I appreciate how he loves and cares for my daughter. I can say that he's part of the family. We love him. They were high school sweethearts. They dated, you know, for seven years before they got married. Look, he's a good guy. But he ruined some stuff. 
<laughs> my daughter's initials were MLB. Uh, and now his last name starts with a P. He's ruined it. He didn't take her last name? I tried to get him to do that, but I tried to convince him it was trendy and all the cool kids are doing it, but they they weren't buying any of that. Anyway, within the last week or so, the Pirates have dealt away Garrett Cole to the Astros, not the Yankees. They dealt away Andrew McCutcheon to the San Francisco Giants, despite that my CBS Sports app told me that he was getting traded to the New York Giants. My app said Giants and Pirates agreed to McCutcheon deal, and there was the New York Giants logo there. But now that they're gone, some of the bigger names and trades that are still available, one of the names I hear about is Tampa Bay's Chris Archer. Mm-hmm. And you got to wonder, man, after sending away Evan Longorio also to the Giants, you sort of expect the Rays to move Archer. And that's a guy as a Yankee fan that, boy, I'd, I'd like to have him. And you'd think that the Yankees would have the prospects to work out a deal. I know the Rays would be reluctant to move him within division, but that's a guy I'd kind of like to have. He is a guy I'd like to have. And uh, to be honest, I don't see him getting traded until closer to the trade deadline because he is controllable by the Rays for a pretty, you know, pretty team-friendly deal. Um, I think they won't move him until uh, teams are more motivated to pay up what they want to get. But it's the Tampa Bay way. You know, guys start to get expensive and they get traded. That's what they do. It's how they operate the franchise. It's how they always have. So you got to think at some point, sooner rather than later, he'll be out of there. You Which- s- Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Spencer. You said that uh, you kind of expect him to move Archer. I kind of just expect that they're still getting ready to move, period. I hope yeah. they were <laughs> one <laughs> step closer to them being the Expos. Bring back the Expos. You're tracking me because that was exactly what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. I, I love the Tampa-St. Pete area, but get him out of there. It's a, it's a travesty what's happening there. Yeah. They can't fill a stadium. They can't pay their players. Another name I hear a lot, and this one really surprises me, is Michael Fulmer of the Tigers. Mm -hmm. And the guy was just a rookie of the year two seasons ago. You would think if the Tigers were going into some sort of rebuilding mode that this is a guy you'd want to rebuild around. But yet I hear his name a lot. And all I could think is that they must be thinking that they can bring back a haul much the way the Yankees did when they traded away Andrew Miller Mm -hmm. and Aroldis Chapman. But uh, that's another guy that would look pretty decent in pinstripes. He would. And if you're going to spring for any of these pitchers that are on the block, Fulmer would be the guy that you would want, ideally because he's so good. Like you said, he was just a rookie of the year. And he's under team control for something like five or six more seasons really affordably. So he would fit your plan to upgrade the rotation and stay under the luxury tax amount for a while. The only problem, of course, is like you said, you're going to have to give up quite a bit to get him, which is why I don't really see him ending up with the Yankees because the Yankees have finally stockpiled all this young talent. They really don't want to start shipping it out. But I agree, he would be fantastic in pinstripes. One more pitcher that also gets mentioned a lot is Danny Salazar of Mm -hmm. the Indians. A guy that is really only a little over 500, I think his record is something 36, 38 wins mm-hmm. against 32, 33 losses, something like that, but a ton of upside. And I think you'd be able to pick up a pitcher like that for a lot less in return than you would a Michael Fulmer. Mm-hmm. Then you think about the Yankees. Again, we're all Yankee fans in here. That's why we keep bringing up the Yankees. But they're sitting on Clint Frazier, who, while I like Clint Frazier, is sort of blocked because they have a ton of outfield depth. So you wonder, could there be a a possible way to trade him back to the Cleveland? Obviously, in a deal like that, you'd think there'd need to be more pieces than just the two. Yeah. But, you know, trading a guy back to the team that you got him from seems kind of weird, but he is a very good prospect and a very good player. And 
you know, Salazar is, at least at this point in his career, not a guy that the Indians have been able to depend on. Look, when he's on, we went to a game that he pitched and he shut the Yankees down and he was tremendous. When he's on, he's an ace. But he's not on all the time. He has been injured. Last year, he was bad enough that he got moved to the bullpen for a while. Um, You don't know what you're going to get for the Indians. That might be a good deal. The Yankees' own Dylan Patances is another one who I think is difficult to read. Mm -hmm. Remember last year, this guy, there was the arbitration hearing. There was a lot of bitterness with the way that went down with some of the things that uh, Randy Levine said about him in those hearings. He wasn't automatic all the time. At times he was. At other times he couldn't hit water if he had fallen out of a boat. And the guy was very inconsistent at times last year, which, which by the way, did you see that the Yankees avoided arbitration with something like all eight of their arbitration-eligible guys, yeah, which, including including Batances? So you think somebody somewhere learned something along the way, uh, hey, we're not going through this again. Not only Batanza, Sonny Gray, Didi Gregorius, Aaron Hicks, Tommy Conley, Andrew Austin Romine, uh, Adam Warren, Jason Shreve, I think were all the guys that were arbitration eligible. Every one of them the Yankees settled with. Obviously, something happened last year with that whole Randy Levine thing that they yeah. didn't want to happen again. As spring training draws to a clo- uh, closer, I almost said draws to a close. I I don't want to get ahead of myself. I wish. (laughs) Another thing teams like to do is pick up veteran leadership, players who model consistency, players who model maturity, which is why I'd like to see the Yankees bring back Todd Frazier. I know they've got a couple of young top prospect infielders, and they're counting on those guys. But having Frazier there as some security is something I would like like to see. Plus, he was so good for the clubhouse last year. He was, yes. the whole uh, the thumbs down thing, all the all the Todd Frazier thumbs down T-shirts and stuff. I know you've got one. I do. That was awesome. That really seemed to. I mean, that team was loose and they were gelled pretty much the whole season. But he really seemed to be sort of that guy that the younger players sort of were drawn to, and he was great in that clubhouse. And look, if it's a one year deal and it's not anything too crazy, I would love to see him come back. That's something we all benefit though in life. Some mature guidance, some mature wisdom, some somebody that's got more experience than we do. That's why these teams like to sign those guys at this time of year, because they're not giving them as much money as maybe had they signed them right at the end of the season. Guys are a little more desperate. They want to keep playing, especially the older guys. That's not to suggest that because you're young, you don't know what you're doing. That's not what I'm saying. But being able to watch somebody who has been around the block a few times and who you, you see them and you know that they, they, they've they learned how to respond to certain things. They've learned how to react to situations. Learning from somebody who's maybe already made the mistakes so you don't have to. I mentioned many of the young guys on the Yankees, and, and they just they play. To me, it seems like they're playing well above their years, maturity-wise. They're mm-hmm. just so together. And I think that comes from being surrounded by quality leaders, up and down the farm system who those young guys are now emulating. A Sunday morning, the pastor at the church I attended, he asked this question early in his message. If people around us were emulating us, would they then look like Jesus? I think I could have got up and left right there. It was early in the service. I could have just left because there was so much in that question that Mm -hmm. was challenging and convicting right there. And let me say it again, only slightly different. If people around you were emulating you, would they look like Jesus? Here's a shocker for you. 
Jesus isn't asking us to evangelize the lost. Now, don't lose me here. That certainly takes place. But what he says is to make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The first step in making a disciple is telling them about Jesus and how he died on the cross to pay for their sins, so that if they only repent and ask God to forgive them, they can have eternal life in heaven. That's the first part. And the best way to show how sincere and how important you think that is, is to live your life in a way that would emulate Jesus himself, Christ-like characteristics, his love, his kindness, his compassion, etc. The pastor also reminded us on Sunday that it doesn't need to be a church event for us to act like a Christian. Mm -hmm. And once you know Jesus Christ personally as your Savior, you receive his Holy Spirit, which, while it doesn't take over because you still have that human spirit within you that you were born with and the two sort of wage, but by being with you, it does help you to guide you in living in a way that reveals the changing power of the cross of Christ. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Veteran players are like like witnesses to the younger players around them. And like any other walk of life, they can be bad witnesses, they can be bad examples, or they could be good examples. Teams want those veteran guys around their young players to show that next generation what it takes to be a professional, what it takes to be, uh, what it takes, what, what's required to be a winner. Let me just share one more thing I took away from Sunday's message and Man, I feel like I'm ripping this guy off for this segment. (laughs) But it was really good stuff. He was a missionary to Africa for something like 10 years. And he said, missionaries do nothing different than live as a disciple of Jesus on the mission field, just as they live as, as a disciple of Jesus at home. Their goal is not to make missionaries, but to make disciples. And if you would say that you know Jesus personally, I would ask, how are you living your life? Are you making disciples as Jesus left instructions for us to do? Or again, as the pastor's original question on Sunday, if people around you were emulating you, would they then look like Jesus? If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ but would like to know what that's all about or how to know Jesus personally, you can visit our website, btgprogram.com. There's a tab in the upper right-hand portion of our website that I think will help you. And just a reminder... It's always our honor to pray for you. You can send us a note through that website. Thanks so much for listening with the Barletta Boys. I'm Rick Bentz, and this is the Beyond the Game program. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. When St. Jude finds something that works well with a certain cancer, they share that with everybody. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. We just have to worry about helping Chandler and he's just my heart. 
St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him. You can't even see the top of that thing. Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Thanks for being with us. This is an encore presentation of the Beyond the Game program. Here's another segment from a previously aired broadcast that we hope you not only enjoy, but are encouraged by as well. Rick Benson, Zach Barletta, this is the Beyond the Game program. Mixing sports with just a bit of faith. Congratulations to the four players who were elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame this past week. Chipper Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, Jim Tomei, and Trevor Hoffman appeared on the necessary 75% of the ballots submitted by the Baseball Writers of America Association. They'll now join Alan Trammell and Jack Mars, who were voted in back in the fall by the Modern Era Committee. Chipper Jones, Zach, and Jim Tomei were elected in their first year of eligibility. As they should as have they, been. Exactly right, as they should have been. But the top two vote-getters this year was Jones and Vladimir Guerrero. The thing that confuses me, if Guerrero, who received 392 votes out of 422 ballots, which is good enough for 92.9%, why didn't he get in last year? Because last year, I don't know what he got last year, but it had to be less than 75%. Now, a year later, you've jumped to almost 93 A guy is either a Hall of Famer or he's not. Mm -hmm. The the vote should not be left up to whatever whim the writers are determining is their way of uh, policing or protecting the integrity of the Hall of Fame. Clearly, some guy thought that, or a number of guys, if he went from less than 75% to darn near 93%, some guys felt like he was Hall of Fame worthy, but not first ballot Hall of Fame worthy. That's ridiculous. A guy is either in the Hall of Fame or he's not. He's mm-hmm. either worthy or he's not. Who? It, this idea of I'm going to decide whether he's first ballot, second ballot, third ballot, or in the case of Edgar Martinez, maybe he's going to get a whole bunch of sympathy votes next year. He missed out now for the ninth time. Mm-hmm. Next year is his last year of eligibility. I think he'll get in next year. I mean, he only missed by 20 votes this year. And like you said, in his last year of eligibility, I think he's going to get those votes that he needs. But Vladimir Guerrero, I'm glad he got in because he's one of my favorite players. Oh, yeah. So fun to watch. Terrific player. But my point is, why wasn't he in a year ago? Yeah. Like you said, if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. First or second ballot Hall of Famer should matter. If you're good enough, you go in. I agree. Jones was a top vote getter, getting 410 total votes, which was 97.2%. That is 11th highest in balloting history, but that means there were 12 ballots, which Chipper Jones did not appear on, which I have to- That's ridiculous. Absolutely. Why? Seriously, the Hall of Fame should, they they should have an explanation as part of the ballot. If you did not put him in, 
you need to offer an explanation as to why. He's as close to a unanimous choice as anybody should be. Those 12 guys were probably Mets fans. <laughs> Chipper Jones owned the Mets. Whatever it is, whatever explanation you give is going to be insufficient because Chipper Jones is a Hall of Famer and the 12 of you who did not vote for him should lose your licenses. Oh, man. There are some voters who make the argument that since there's never been a unanimous choice that there shouldn't be, mm-hmm. Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, uh, King Griffey Jr., I think were the three closest, if I'm not mistaken, since they weren't unanimous writers think, well, I'm not voting for anybody. And I just think that is just flawed. Those guys that voted back in the 1930s for Babe Ruth or mm-hmm. didn't vote for Babe Ruth or Tiger, they're not voting now. So why would you, as a writer, want to repeat their mistake? Coming up next year is Mariano Rivera. Now, I know some guys have a grudge against closers, but come on. Trevor Hoffman got in this year. He got in with about just a couple of percentage points below 80%, essentially, of the vote. And I think that should have been higher, but that's why I think that Mariano Rivera is not going to be a unanimous choice, even though I think he probably should be, because is there anything about Mariano Rivera that's not a Hall of Famer? The guy obviously is. Who's going to leave him off his ballot? But Trevor Hoffman, who was the greatest until Mariano, he only got 80%. I can't imagine they're not going to hold a grudge against Mariano as well. Derek Jeter's coming up in a few years. If he ever does retire, Ichiro Suzuki. Again, guys <laughs> that I think, how do you not vote for those guys? How do you not put them in the hall? Eventually, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, guys like that are going to be mm-hmm. eligible. And if they continue playing at the level they're playing, obviously, towards the end of their career, they'll probably have somewhat of a natural decline curve. But they'll be in the same situation or a similar situation as Chipper Jones. How do you not vote for those guys? The vote was changed a few years ago. They took votes away from some guys that had covered baseball years ago, hadn't covered baseball in many years. So they took the votes and and gave them to somebody else, which you would think the new guys that are voting are obviously younger. I would think that is why Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds have been getting a little bit more love on the vote. If you follow the vote in the days leading up to it, guys were revealing their ballots. And if you track those ballots, they were somewhere right around that magic 75%. There was some talk like they might get in. They were numbers. Clemens and Bonds were numbers seven and eight in votes this year. Clemens, what, 57%? I think Bonds was right behind them somewhere right around 56%. 56, yeah. They were less than a full percentage. Which is why I don't think you guys should be able to reveal your ballots. Because you went from talking about 75% based on early reveals to 57 and 56%. But I think there is a softening. Wouldn't you agree when it comes to the steroid guys? Yeah, yeah. I hate to say it, but the crusty old guys are slowly being weeded out. And, you know, the younger guys who I I think are in in my age range or slightly older who watched Barry Bonds, who watched Roger Clemens and appreciated how great they are, I think more and more people understand now that they were great before the steroids. The steroids may have enabled them to do what they did sure. longer. But the Hall of Fame is a museum. Absolutely. These guys were Hall of Famers before yeah. the alleged steroid use. That's why I think these guys should get in. I, I don't think you can approach the steroid guys with a broad stroke. Each one of them have to be analyzed individual on a case-by-case basis. For one reason, it's too hard to 
define who is and who isn't. Most of those guys are rumored to be users. Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of guys that are proven users. So it gets real hard to define them. Personally, obviously, I think the cheating was wrong. I get it. I, I can't debate that. But it's the penalty that is debatable. Should they be out of the hall? Should they be in the hall? A guy like Sammy Sosa, I don't I don't see a Hall of Fame career apart from the steroid years. And that's not the case with Bonds or Clemens. I'm coaching a JV basketball team made up of Chinese students studying here in the United States. It's really a terrific thing as they're playing at some of the other schools. I got this one young man. He's probably our best shooter. Likes to hit the scorer's table at every chance to find out his stats. The other night, we're playing a game, and he scores a basket. No timeout. On his way back up the court, stops at the scorer table. While play is going on, stops at the scorer's table to find out his stats. We've told him on a number of occasions, look, you can't do that. The team comes first. It doesn't matter individually. But yet we all like our stats. We like to compare each other. And that's what we're doing here with these baseball players. But his broken English comes in handy at times. You know, we tell him, man, don't stop at the score table. Just do that stuff at the end of the game. And he tells us, oh, sure. Yeah, great, great. Very next play. He's stopping at the scorer's table, and I'm sure our next game, he's going to be stopping at the scorer's table yet again. Come on, dude. you got to get back and play some defense. I mean, I you know what I really appreciate is when you watch a game and a guy has a great performance, and they ask him after the game, you know, you scored 30 points or whatever. How did you do it? And the, the player's like, well, really? That was that many? Like, they don't know how many they scored in a game. I like that about a player because it shows that they're more interested in winning the game than in their personal statistics. There's no language barrier. There's no culture barrier when it comes to self-glory. Guys love to know their stats, and that's what the Hall of Fame is all about. We want to compare players against other players, and in our own lives, it comes down to the same thing. We want to know our stats. We go to the scorer's table, or we want to know how many home runs we hit compared to other guys. Why? For our own self-glory. We can say the mature thing like we're just trying to find out where we need to improve, but in actuality— what we really want to know is where we stand, and we want to be able to tell others about it as well. I've got more home runs. I've got more touchdown passes. I've I've made more saves on the season. As a church rec leader, I sometimes struggle with stat keeping because there is only one reason to keep stats, and that's to compare ourselves against other people. But our spiritual lives are that way too. You know, we compare ourselves to others. Look at me here. I give the most money. I serve in the most ministries, or I, I'm the pastor's best friend. I, I think a hard question to ask requires an honest inventory of our lives, and that's to ask, is my life showing that I chase my own glory or that I want to see God get the glory? And when I examine my own self, I do think I truly desire to bring glory to Christ, but I also enjoy getting a few out of boys. I realize that I'm actually trying to share the glory with God. Yeah, I, I want God to get the glory, but I want some too. The Bible says in Luke 9.23, if any wish, one, anyone wishes to come after me, this is Jesus speaking, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That means not sharing glory with God. That means denying myself and giving everything to Jesus, following him completely. Denying myself means to live as he did 
wholly focused on other people. Therefore, I ought to follow him and, and, and do what he has called me to do and not worry about getting accolades, not worrying about getting acknowledgement or credit or glory. There are many who say they serve Christ, and, and they do. They may have even committed themselves to full-time ministry, but yet they're still trying to accomplish their own dreams. They're still trying to have some sort of personal fulfillment in, in what it is they're doing. They're, they strive after some level of luxury in their lifestyle. Make sure, make sure, of course, that they're dropping something in the offering plate. You know, they're keeping up with their tithe, but it's not quite cross-bearing, and, and it's not quite self-denial. It's something different. And look, I'm not saying that it's sinful to be comfortable. Of course not. It, it's If God has blessed you, that's great. Whatever comfortable means to you. I'm not saying it's wrong to have nice things, you know, if God has been pleased to give you those. But if that is what you are chasing, then I would argue that you're not completely denying yourself and following after him. I think there's a difference between accepting God's blessings or chasing after rewards. I think those are two different things. We can be content whether it be much or whether it be little, that we receive as a result of our work for him. I better say here that if you've given yourself solely to God, to his work, and to his glory, and you're content with whatever level of luxury, then then it's fine. There's no issue, which is why I go back into something I said. This is a difficult question to find out, and it requires a deep personal inventory of whose glory you're seeking. As believers, we're all called to be completely yielded to Jesus. If you call him Lord, then he needs to be just that. And we need to be dedicated to furthering his kingdom. God has gifted us for such a work. Being sold out is not supposed to be just for some. After telling followers that they need to deny themselves and take up his cross, Jesus made a very serious statement in verses 24 and 25 of Luke chapter 9. He says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? But losing your life for the sake of Christ, and I'm not necessarily talking about martyrdom here, though that does happen in places all around the world, especially other countries other than ours, but it happens here in the United States, and it's certainly a possibility. But I'm not necessarily talking about martyrdom. I'm talking about losing yourself, denying yourself in terms of self-denial. The believer gains life more abundantly as a result. Think of it this way. I've heard people say that you don't lose a seed when you plant it. You don't see the seed again in that form. It goes into the ground and it dies, but it becomes something greater than it was before. And that's the life completely surrendered to Christ without regard for oneself. It becomes greater than it was before. The old self dies and within it, God has nourished it and God raises up this magnificent thing. That's what it is to truly step out on faith and trust God. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Taking up your cross is not some trial that you've gone through, not some inconvenience that you've endured. Jesus refers to it as a daily thing. 
not something that comes and goes in our lives. Taking up the cross is a complete lifestyle of wholeheartedly following after Christ. Our attitude, our character is meant to be as Jesus's was. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. It's not easy to live godly because of the amount of self-denial it requires. We'll never totally arrive. Listen, we're never going to have it all together. The Christian faith is a slow, continuous work of becoming more and more like Christ, demonstrating characteristics in our lives that are consistent with how Jesus lived. And we're often going to fail. We're often going to fall. But we get back up and we continue towards a mark that is a Christ-centered life. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Look, man, you screwed up yesterday. You maybe have screwed up today. Maybe you screwed up three days ago. Doesn't matter. What matters is what you're going to do today. Leave that stuff in the past. Don't worry about where you were yesterday. Don't worry about how you made how you messed up. Move on. Get right with God. Pick yourself up and move forward. Take up your cross and follow after him each day again and again. Not for our glory, but for God's. As we grow in our faith, we become a brighter light in the world, a stronger witness, a stronger testimony to a lost world as Christians who are, we're not stepping all over each other for our own fame and our own glory, but instead we're building up one another for God's glory. That's how we show Christ to a world that desperately needs him. Thanks so much for listening to the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson. We're going to be right back right after this. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play, or on our website, MythsAndMysteriesPod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Are you a fan of March Madness? The Red Hawks are. And Roberts Wesleyan College will be hosting the East Coast Conference Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament this year. Plan to attend the semifinals on Saturday, March 3rd, and championship Sunday on March 4th as teams compete to punch their ticket to the NCAA D2 National Tournament at Roberts Wesleyan College, Rochester's only NCAA Division II Athletic Scholarship Program. For all your Red Hawks information, visit robertsredhawks.com. Roberts Wesleyan, make it yours. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view.
Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson, and this is an encore presentation of the show. We're away this week, but we hope you enjoy this previously aired segment. Rick Benson, Zach Barletta, this is the Beyond the Game program. Talking sports from a faith-based point of view. Players will be reporting to Major League Baseball camps over the next few days, and the baseball hot stove season will come to to an end more than any other sport. I I think anyway, fans enjoy the baseball off season more than others because of that hot stove action. And I'm not sure, Zach, I could pinpoint why that is, but doesn't it seem to you like the baseball off season is more fun? Than the others? I think so, because a lot of the other off-seasons and the other sports, there's like a free agent frenzy on the first official day, and the first day, tons of people sign, and then after that, it's like a trickle. Basically, like this entire baseball off-season has been. Within the last week, one of the guys that I really wanted to see the Yankees bring back, he found a home elsewhere. Todd Frazier signed a deal with the New Mm -hmm. York Mets that keeps him in New York, just not with the Yankees. He took a two-year deal worth $17 million from the Mets, which for a little security, considering that the Yankees are going into the season with Miguel Andahar uh, slated to be their starting third baseman, $17 million seems affordable to me. So I don't know why they wouldn't sign him, except maybe that second year was a backbreaker to them. I think so. And I think um, if they're going to stay under the luxury tax amount like they really want to, they only had about $15 million to spend. So that would have you know, basically cut their available budget for the year and a half. Truth be told, he he was a fan favorite. Yeah. I enjoyed him, but... Um, You're wearing he, his t-shirt right now. What happens to this now? Does this become a Mets thing? Do you have to make it lighter blue and orange? Yeah. Do the Yankees get to keep doing that? Does he take... Because it'd be really weird, like, if the Mets started doing it all of a sudden, right? That just, it would be weird. Yeah, that, that doesn't work. By the way, the deal comes with the approval of... I think his his last name is Dunair, Gary Dunair. That's the thumbs-down guy. Mm-hmm. That's the Mets season ticket holder. He liked the deal. He was approving of the Todd Frazier deal. But as I started to say, he didn't. He wasn't real productive at the plate last year. Yeah. And it just seemed like he was because so many of his hits were, man, they were key hits. You know, mm-hmm. they were big situations. And, of course, he was fun to have on the team, but – when you looked at the numbers, I was a little surprised at how paltry his numbers actually were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's very much, um, at this stage of his career, he's an all-or-nothing sort of hitter where he sells out for power, but you don't really get much else. Apart from that and a few other minor ripples of activity, and of course there's that major splash with the Giancarlo Stanton trade, this really hasn't been much of a hot stove season. I remember talking at the end of last year how we were looking forward to it, but I can't remember as the last time there was such inactivity. No, it's the hot stove's been lukewarm at best. It's been a very quiet, pretty boring offseason. Now, because camps are about to open, between the time we're 
recording the show, and by the time it actually broadcasts, maybe the floodgates will open and there will have been tons of signings. But with so little having happened to this point and being so close to spring training opening, I tell you, the rumors of collusion by the owners is getting louder and louder, and it begins to start looking like maybe there's some validity to it. But would the owners be so crazy to do this again? Remember back in the mid-'80s, they were found guilty of colluding. Back then, there was three or four straight seasons of relative inactivity uh, um, for free agents. Name brand guys, some of the guys on this list, Kirk Gibson, Rod Carew, Carlton Fisk, Don Sutton, Bobby Gritch, Phil Negro, Tommy John. These are name brand guys, and they couldn't get offers apart from the team that they had last played with. Owners had even been so brazen as to come up with uh, an information bank, where if you made an offer to a player, you reported it to this bank so that other owners could check in on it and see what's been offered. So you're not going to overprice or overbid for a player. The great Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer, Andre Dawson, so desperate to get out of Montreal at the time of this collusion that he ended up giving the Chicago Cubs a blank contract and told them to just fill it in. And of course they did for something like $500,000, which I, I don't remember the exact figure, but what I do remember, it was about half of what he made the previous season. And he would only go on to win the NL MVP that year. So the the Cubs got a bargain. Now the arbitrators found, several arbitrators found the owners guilty. And it took them a few years, but they came up with a settlement with the players. Uh, something uh, It was $280 million plus interest and other costs as compensation. Those other costs, that total penalty ended up costing four hundred and thirty-four million dollars. Could the current owners have forgotten this history and be colluding again? Do, do you suspect that? I actually don't. Um, I don't think it's as much collusion. Um, A, because it would be stupid, like you said, to do that same thing again. Because think about it, if they cost them that $434 million all those years ago, imagine what it's going to cost them today. Secondly, I think that we're in an era now of data and so much more information is available to these teams and these front offices that I think teams have figured out when we sign these older players to these long-term deals, it never, ever works out. And I think you're seeing younger general managers running these front offices now. These guys have all graduated from the same schools. They've all been taught the same things. They all have the same computer software to build their rosters with, I think they've all sort of wised up and figured out throwing this money around has never worked. So I think what you're seeing is just a smartening up of front offices more than anything. In 2006, when they were guilty and they got fined $12 million, they ended up playing the Major League Baseball Players Association $12 million. The settlement was they didn't have to admit guilt. So while they were guilty, they didn't have to say, they were guilty. They settled out of court, so The collective speak. bargain agreement is actually something that's come out of these settlements. Every time the players have the players association has suspected collusion and they've asked for an investigation, they've come away with some sort of settlement. So you would think that this would probably be a good time to at least 
ask for an investigation. The collective mm-hmm. bargaining agreement, as I say, is something that came out of the And when this past deal was reached, though they agreed to it, the players immediately, their, their agents told them, you got a bad deal here. One of the things that is helping to lead to this situation is the fact that players have to wait a longer period of time before they're free agent eligible, mm-hmm. which means a lot of the great young talent, and there is great young talent around this league, is ineligible for free agency, which means there's less players on the market. So owners are content to sit with the players they have rather than go spend on these higher – there's less free agents on the market. They're not mm-hmm. paying the – skyrocketed prices for older players when there's so much young talent that's not free agent eligible Absolutely. yet. You got guys like Aaron Judge on the Yankees and and Francisco Lindor uh, uh, on the Indians is just tremendous players that are not going to be free agent eligible for a time. Not everybody's going to be able to make Giancarlo Stanton money and I think players have to realize that. So this is where I'm coming we're saying I don't know if and of course we're two guys talking sports fans talking in a studio here what do we really know right but i would think that it's probably less collusion because again what it would be fairly foolish as much as it is being responsible and kind of a wink and and a nod and everybody's waiting for the first domino to fall mm-hmm. and it's just not now i'm hearing things like they're going to have the free agents are going to have their own spring training camp, except for Boris guys. Did you see Boris said his guys no, don't need it? No, I didn't see it. that. Boris said he's got enough fields and facilities for his guys to use. They don't have to go to a to a free agent camp. I think another reason that so many free agents are unsigned as well is that it used to be the guys who got the great big huge contracts were the sluggers and the home run hitters, and home runs are up so much around baseball. Everybody's hitting 20 home runs these days. The guys who only hit home runs, who don't give you much else, those guys are a dime a dozen these days. Guys Mm -hmm. don't want to give them tons of money when they can find that power somewhere else. Now, I obviously can't relate to the concerns of players when it comes to collusion. However, I'm willing to guess that myself and most of us have at times felt like people have been teaming up against us. In fact, there are times when it feels the whole world is against us. And, of course, that hurt is even worse when it's somebody you're supposed to be able to trust, like a family member or or a close friend. And you would think that baseball players would be able to trust ownership. I mean, after all, they're making tons of money for those guys. But players have never trusted ownership, and ownership has never trusted players. King David felt that betrayal when he wrote about it in Psalm 41, verse 9. He says, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus felt that same betrayal. That verse there in forty-one nine, Psalm 41.9 is prophetic in Jesus's betrayal from Judas. And that's who Jesus is talking about. He quotes that scripture in John 13.18 and applying it to the person of Judas. Jesus says this, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And the Bible is filled with these types of relationships that people you would think you would be able to 
trust have turned against him. You can think of Cain and Abel, brother and brother, Miriam and Moses, sister and brother. Joseph was betrayed by all his brothers had teamed up against him. You got David and Absalom, his his own son. Well, we get the feeling down. We have this tendency to feel a bit sorry for ourselves. Now, obviously, it's a bit of a stretch to think that the whole world is teaming up against us. And it's important to remember that it's hardly ever really as bad as it seems. But regardless of how bad it is, we can trust in the faithfulness of a God who cares about us. And David points that out in the first three verses of that Psalm 41. He says, How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. And he shall be called blessed upon the earth. And do not give him over to the desires of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to health. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. A rather unfortunate thing about life is that not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to dig who you are. And David talks about that in verse 5 when he says, My enemies speak evil against me. When will he die and his name perish? Here was David, anointed by God, a man after God's own heart, and yet people still hated him. And regardless of how kind you are or how many good things you do, there are going to be people that just don't like you. There's nothing you can do about it, so don't let it discourage you. Don't let that trip you up. The Apostle Paul was disliked, even by people that he stood with. You think of the Jewish people. He was talking to them and telling them that because of their sin, Paul is now instructed by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He admits that he was with them. He stood approving when they stoned Stephen. And they're listening right to him as as he's telling them all this, right up until the point where he tells them he's taking the gospel to the Gentiles, and then they wanted to kill him. Acts 22, verses 20 to 22 says, And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. The Christian needs to remember that if people hate you because you're trying to reach them out of love, concern, care, well, remember that the world hated Jesus before they hated you. Jesus says in John 15, verses 17 to 19, This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Just keep keep on loving people. It's not you that they hate. It's Jesus. And yes, sometimes it may be a family member. Sometimes it may be a close friend. David dealt with it, as I said, with Absalom. Job dealt about with such a problem. You can read about it in Job chapter 19. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. As believers, obviously it hurts 
when people turn against you, but continue on. Jesus is divisive. There's no doubt about it. When, when, when you talk about Christ, there are going to be people that turn on you, that are going to reject you. You're not the first to feel that people are against you. You certainly won't be the last, and you're not the only one to feel that way. I don't know why it happens, but God will ultimately use it for good. You might think of Jesus' betrayal by Judas as, man, that, that was a bad thing. But God ultimately used it for good because Jesus went to the cross and paid for the sins of all mankind. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 44 and 45, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Sometimes it seems unfair that bad things happen to good people, and that good things happen to bad people. But again, God will use those things. It's He's sovereign. He's in control. It pleases him to prosper both the good and the evil. Remember that God loves you. When it seems like the world is teamed up against you, when, when everybody's colluding against you, God loves you. And this is even though you were you were once against him. And even now you still will sin against him. But despite how you turned against him, his mercy was so great and his love for you so strong that he bore your sins on the cross to make forgiveness of sins available should you only ask. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus has already paid the debt of our sins when he died on the cross, lived that life without sin, and yet willingly gave that life up as a sacrifice to pay for the debt of your sins and my sins. He chose to take upon himself the weight of the sins of all mankind and pay for that with his death on the cross. He was buried, but then he rose again on the third day because he has the power over life and death. And you can have that power over eternal death by placing your trust in him. Admit your guilt. Admit your sin to God. Tell him that you believe that he died on the cross for you and that he was buried and rose again. Ask God to forgive you. And tell God that you want him to, to help you change, to repent from your sins. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you've done that today, placed your trust in Christ, won't you let us know? 
Send us a note through our website, btgprogram.com. We'd be encouraged to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening to the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson. We'll be back right after this short break. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Is here. Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian Sports TV channel with programming from Pee to the Pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at RamSportsNetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network. More than a game. This has been an encore presentation of the Beyond the Game program. I want to thank you for being with us. You can partner with our team here at Beyond the Game in bringing the gospel to thousands of listeners each week through Sports Talk Radio by making a financial contribution to help offset the costs of airtime. For more information or to make a donation, visit our website, btgprogram.com. There you will also find information about the program, past broadcasts that you can listen to, and information about how you can know Jesus Christ personally and experience for yourself forgiveness of sins. On behalf of Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again real soon. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. 